Uh, Across this term, we're going to be reading four of the prophetic books that sit at the end of the Old Testament. Um, Part of what's called uh, the Book of Twelve. Quite often we hear them called the minor prophets, not minor because they're less important uh, than perhaps the so-called major prophets. They're shorter in their messages, but they still pack plenty of punch. They sit together in this book of 12, these 12 prophecies uh, together. We're going to look at four of them across uh, this term, uh, Obadiah today, and then across the following three weeks, Tim, Tim is going to take us through Nahum, And then I'm going to take us through Habakkuk over three weeks and then Brock is going to take us through Zephaniah in one week. They're short books, but they pack a punch. There's some obscure messages in them and we might ask the question, why uh, might we read them uh, today? Well, because in every age... God's prophets who speak God's message on behalf of Him to God's people, prophets lift our eyes from a narrow earthly existence to something greater. That's what prophecy did in the days of the prophets. And while we continue to read it today, it lifts our eyes from our narrowed earthly existence to something greater. Uh, Our family have just been on a road trip uh, through uh, a large part of Queensland, though there's even more Queensland that we didn't see. Uh, We drove all the way to Cairns and back, and it's been about five years since I'd been um, up north of uh, Brisbane, and since the last time I'd been there, I noticed that there are lots of big yellow roadside billboards like this. Sometimes they're every several kilometres on the left and the right side of the road, Clive Palmer with his great slogan, Make Australia Great. That's quite a catchy slogan. It seems to be a fairly popular ideal, Uh, so popular that the Uh, Donald Trump made it a part of his campaign and just crossed out the Australia and made it America, make America great again. What does it mean to make Australia great? The world immediately round about us, our existence here in this part of the world, what does it mean to be great? What makes a great country? What makes a great region? What makes a great town? What makes a great team? What makes a great community? What is great? Community leaders, politicians, entrepreneurs, they will give us visions for greatness. Now, cultural analyst uh, Mark Sayers uh, is very insightful about post-Christian Western culture that we live in. And he says that aspiration for... uh, 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 our aspiration is for something that is less than greatness. Let me me use his words uh, exactly so we can hear what he's saying. 
He says, we're offered the mirage that we can have great community without commitment. The fruits of faith without its foundation. In the end, the kingdom without the king. This is what he's saying about post-Christian society and really every narrowed earthly existence. The way that we come about aspiring to greatness, as good as it is to aspire for greatness, is to actually narrow things down such that it's exactly what we want. We have to filter out and and, and, and border out the things that don't fit into our great existence. And Mark Sayers, looking at it from a post-Christian perspective in the West, said, really, it's we want all the fruits of God's kingdom without God the King. Now, this is post-Christian society, but it's every narrowed earthly existence, from the Garden of Eden with the first man and the woman who were there, through to the people of Babel, God's Old Testament people, the Israelites and the nations who were round about them, to Australia today in 2018. God's message through the prophets always, in every age, is to lift our eyes to a vision of true greatness. You see, the prophets will teach us about God, about who He is and what He values. The prophets will hold up a mirror to ourselves that we might truly see humanity as it is, so we we might see up our blind spots and our blemishes. And the prophets keep holding out for us the glorious reality that is hope-filled and good, But you don't have to read very far in the prophets to see that God's path to what is truly great comes via dealing with what is bad and sad in the world. There's a hard-hitting and unsettling message of judgment that we're going to have to wade through in the prophets. A message that goes against the grain of culture, a message that makes us feel uncomfortable. Yet, even in the midst of the darkness of judgment, if we take the time to read carefully, what shines through is God's grace and salvation. Our first Bible reading this morning, 1 Peter, it said there that the prophets were searching for God's grace and salvation. And what they were searching for points to God's Christ, the King. Ultimately, it is King Jesus, Christ Jesus, who leads us and who invites the world round about us safely through judgment into an existence and an eternal future that is truly great and hope-filled. And this is what we're going to hear in Obadiah this morning. Obadiah is a vision about Israel's brother nation, Edom. Remember the twins, Jacob and Esau, from the middle parts of the book of Genesis? Israel is the descendants of Jacob. Edom is the descendants of Esau. Now this prophetic message 
uh, of Obadiah comes about 1,500 years after Jacob and Esau lived. But here is a vision of Obadiah uh, to about Israel's brother nation, Edom. Let me pray and then I'm going to read uh, Obadiah for us. Our great God, we thank you that your word given to us in the Bible, which has been written down across many days and many years, we thank you that it is your word, true, living and active. Help us to hear it today. Help us to understand it, even its obscure bits. Help us to listen with soft hearts to the bits that are uncomfortable. And please teach us of you, our great God who is mighty to save. Point us to Jesus and point us to your great heavenly and eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Page 653, I'm going to read the 21 verses of Obadiah for us. Please follow along. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you! Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden tre treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border, your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Timan, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, you will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. 
Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. This vision of Obadiah is about Edom, Israel's brother nation. It is about the descendants of Esau. Now, Edom thought they were great. From their perspective, verse 3, they had this lofty, geographical position on a secure, rocky outcrop. The name of their capital city was Rock. And from that high, secure position, they were proud. Edom scores zero on the self-awareness scale. As verse 3 tells us, they are deceived by pride. You see, from God's perspective, what God has to say, what God shares through this vision, what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom, the message that comes from the Lord, the message that comes through God's uh, envoy, God's perspective on Edom, verse 2, is that they're small, that they're despised. Verse 4, that they're going to be brought down. Verse 5, they're going to know disaster. Verse 6, they're going to be ransacked and pillaged. Verse 7, they're going to be deceived, overpowered and trapped. Verse 8, the wise are destroyed. Verse 9, they're going to be terrified, they're going to be slaughtered. What a smack in the face for a country, a nation and a people who stand up tall and proud and say, I am great. God has a very different perspective. Now, why is God going to make them small? Why is God going to make them despise, bring them down, ransack, pillage, deceive? Why is God going to do this? Verse 10. Because of the violence that Edom has committed against their brother Jacob. Why is God going to do this? Because verse 11... They have proudly stood aloof 
while strangers, other nations, came in and carried off the wealth of their brother nation, Israel. Why, verse 12? Because they looked down on their brother in his misfortune. They even rejoiced over the destruction of Israel. Verse 14, they even took part in handing over captives. Now, when did this happen? What's the historical situation that Obadiah is talking about here? Well, we actually can't be certain. Uh, While Jacob and Esau had enmity between each other and had some kind of reconciliation in the many years, thousands of years that followed after, uh, Israel and Edom, there was constant tension between them, moving in and out of each other's land and Edom uh, mistreating Israel. And so we can't be certain of the exact moment in history that God is talking about here through the prophet Obadiah. But it's likely that this is a reference to the Babylonian exile in 586 BC, when the Babylonians came in and captured, took over the southern part of Israel, what was left of Israel, the tribe of Judah, and took them into exile. Now, Edom was living just across the border, a little bit to the west, And we do know, historically at this time, that as the Israelites were being taken out, Eden was marching in and filling up the homes and the lands that was left behind. They were taking advantage of the exile of the Israelites. Now, perhaps the Edomites could argue, look, it wasn't us who kicked them out. God? Um we were just making the best of a bad situation. Uh, here's a land that, 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 that is just empty and we're just, we're just moving into uh, what was uh, lost to them. They could perhaps even reason, perhaps God has overturned that birthright saga. <laughs> 1,500 years earlier, when Esau sold his birthright to his brother Jake, younger brother Jacob for a, a, a bowl of lentil stew and the, 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 um, uh, the blessing of their father passed down to Jacob instead of Esau. And maybe Esau's descendants, Edom, are now looking at this and going, well, maybe God's turning this back around the right way, so we're going to go in and we're going to take it. They could make up all kinds of arguments and justifications for why they can feed on the scraps that were left behind by Israel. But God's perspective bursts that bubble. He says that Edom is not great. Verse 10, Edom will be covered with shame. Edom will be destroyed forever for what they have done. Now I want to take a step out back at uh, this point and look at Edom as a severe warning, a severe warning to every nation, every tribe, every community that takes advantage of vulnerable neighbours. It's easy for a strong people group to drift into a proud perception of greatness 
that stands against rather than for the weaker. I want to make a couple of brief comments about three contemporary situations that we need to watch out for as a nation and as a community. Three isms where we could become like Edom. Uh, First one is nationalism. Nationalism. Uh, To love and respect the nation that God has placed us in is an honourable virtue. But proud nationalism can seek a self-confident dominance over weaker neighbours. It's right and godly to seek the good of Australia and within that to defend our borders when necessary. But proud nationalism will too quickly close the borders to vulnerable refugees looking for a safe home. You see, nationalism can have a perception of greatness that is just like Edom's. Let me say a couple of things about consumerism. To enjoy with thanksgiving the gifts that God has given us is an honourable virtue. We saw that in our sermon series back in May. But greedy consumerism can grow a self-indulgent investment in self. And so while it's right and godly to earn money and prioritise providing for ourselves and our family, greedy consumerism, proud consumerism, will close our doors to the poor and the homeless. You see, consumerism and affluence can have a perception of greatness that is like Edom's. A third one to talk about is quietism, quietism. To live a hard-working and quiet life is an honourable virtue. But turning a blind eye to injustice that is done towards vulnerable people is not honourable. It is right and godly to not meddle in our neighbour's business, but keep the peace quietism will block our ears to the abuse of domestic violence in the homes around about us. Quietism can have a perception of greatness that is like Edom's. I'm going to say a lot more about these three important topics when we spend three weeks in Habakkuk uh, later in September. But for now, for us to appreciate, there is a fine line between resilient self-confidence and ugly pride. And that line is crossed when the kingdom that we build, the kingdom that we imagine, the kingdom that we aspire for, that line is crossed when we build this kingdom without its rightful king. And so we need the sobering knowledge of God as He makes Himself known in the prophets. And here we see that God is mighty to save. When you and I long for a world that's truly great, we need to know that there is one 
who is bigger than us and beyond us, who will say, enough. If we're going to long for a world that is truly great, we need someone who can say is in charge of verse 15. Verse 15 says, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. Not just my little patch, not just my little country, not just my little corner of the world. We need someone who is above us and over all. Who can say, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. If we're going to long for a world that is truly great, we are longing for a world that is put right. We can only have a world that is put right when injustice is met with justice, when what is bad and sad becomes unbad and unsad. We want that justice. And what the prophets show us is there is a mighty God who brings this perfect justice. Who doesn't need to have a score review, doesn't need to have a goal review, doesn't need to consult the snickometer. His ruling and his justice, his judgment is, is always perfect. It's always right. There's no dispute against it. There's no apology later on that he didn't see it from all the different angles. There's a mighty God who brings perfect justice. Verse 18. The house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. That's a good thing. The house of Esau, though, will be stubble and they will, be, they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. This week in the media, you would have heard of the tragic situation in, in, in Greece, Greece and around Athens of bushfires that have broken out in resort and holiday areas and the hundreds of people who have been injured and killed. Against that backdrop, a verse like verse 18 just feels that little bit more disturbing and uncomfortable as we read about God's judgment and in the sentences just before I say that it is perfect and good and right. You see, what is going on here in verse 18, what the prophet is talking about, this is not karma for Edom, this is not bad luck for Edom, this is not payback, this is God's judgment. It's an unpopular idea then, it's unpopular now, it was uncomfortable then, it's uncomfortable now, but hear this, if we are going to filter out judgment, we're just narrowing again the reality to make, uh, narrowing again of our reality to make our own version of greatness. Filtering out the things that make us feel uncomfortable and in the end, that leaves what is bad and sad not dealt with. C.S. Lewis, in an essay that he wrote on uh, punishment and justice, he said this, the lack of punishment cheapens humanity. 
The lack of punishment cheapens humanity. Now, in the light of what God's prophets are saying, we could extend out what C.S. Lewis says to say the lack of judgment cheapens the greatness of eternity. The lack of judgment cheapens the greatness of eternity. What we see in the prophets here in Obadiah and across the coming weeks, the mighty God, the mighty God stands up to all that is wrong to make an eternal existence that is truly great. And it's not just a message of judgment. It's in God's good plans and purposes to save His people into this existence. So verse 17, on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The hope-filled message of God's prophet is to point us to a kingdom with a king. Obadiah ends, deliverers, which is the same word for saviours, saviours will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. The hope-filled message of God's prophet points us to a kingdom with a king. In the realm of his kingdom is true and lasting greatness, where we can be safe from judgment. In our first Bible reading this morning, Peter there reminds us that God's king, that God's Christ is Jesus that it's with Jesus there is the possibility of being safe from judgment. It is in the realm of Jesus' kingdom that we can know true and lasting greatness. You see, Peter captures it so well in verses 3 to 5. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the kingdom with the King. This is a kingdom that is great. This is the kingdom of the one who is mighty to save. 